Welcome to A Voice in the Distance Ministries, and today we are in Exodus chapter 34 today. And it is a quiet evening that uh, this is being recorded. It is a good evening because we together are going to be venturing through a very glorious chapter. And I like to title this message, The Glorious Preview. You know, we looked at chapter 33 last time. And, and if you'd like things, to, if you'd like things that are, um, renewed, if you will, if you'd like to see things being made new after something went wrong, this is a great chapter, 33 and 34, right? 33, we already went over. The, the people were commanded to leave Sinai now. And then Moses met with the Lord. And, and, and that was an amazing thing with the promise of God's presence there. And, and Moses got to, to meet with the Lord. And with that, something new is coming. Something new is coming. God's going to give uh, Moses a second chance. He's going to give the people a second chance. Because, you know, previous in the other chapters, Moses came down from the mountain and he witnessed this big party going on with the golden calf being worshipped. And that caused Moses to get so angry that he took the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it and he threw them down and broke them to the ground. And God being gracious as he is, God being a, a God of second chances, will be, will be uh, presenting Moses with a new set of tablets. And, and so I, I like this glorious preview chapter. You know, I was, I was reading something that was... Um, it was kind of profound in regards to this, you know. It was kind of like a, almost kind of like that of a uh, sort of devotional. It, was, it says the lights in the theater dim, and 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 a deep and mysterious voice booms om, uh, om, ominously through the speakers. And on the screen, a sequence of scenes quickly establishes the setting. It introduces the main characters and and teases about the plot. And of course, you're watching a preview for Hollywood's next blockbuster uh, blockbuster flick. But however, since the film's producer want you to plop down the bucks to watch the entire movie, they give you only a, a sketchy outline to, to pique your interest. So the preview suggests a lot more than it shows. But if a theatrical preview exists in the Bible, the episode about Moses' radiant face provides a, great, a greater teaser. And we catch a glimpse of God's glory. But the preview suggests a lot more than it actually shows. Instead of a detailed description, we only read that God's glory made Moses' face shine. Still, the effect was so powerful that it triggered fear in the Israelites, so much so that Moses had to cover his face. Now, the glory of God does that. It makes us shine. And, and when we're not prepared to meet God, we, we cannot handle that kind of light. And the people have never seen anything like it. Moses has never seen anything like it because he actually got to see God right there, right? In, in, in a more close-up presence. Now, not completely close-up because God told Moses that you cannot see me in, your, in my full glory because if, if you do, it will literally kill you. You cannot handle seeing my face on earth. Now, the first time Moses has met with God, it was more in a, uh, more in a, uh, a peaceful setting, if you will. He was out in the desert there, and he was herding sheep, and, and Moses was uh, called to a burning bush. And this burning bush was burning, but it wasn't wiltering. It, it, was, it wasn't on fire and, and wiltering like a typical uh, burning bush would. But the flames were there, and God was talking to Moses through this burning bush. 
But now God made his presence more so known to where it caused Moses to have to, uh, to cover his face because he was shining so bright, he was blinding the people that he came near. And that is the glory of God. So let's take a look at Exodus chapter 34 now in the continual glory of God and, and what he's going to do here with uh, the new tablets and then the covenant renewed. Um, we're going to start off in verses 1 through 7. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. And, and let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone, like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took his hand, the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord... The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Now, if we have heard, like I have, that the, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, and, and the way... God of wrath. And in the New Testament, God is of grace. Well, after reading this, that debunks that outlook because it's the same God with a plan that was to be set for the future in the Old Testament. People could see that it was there to change people's conduct. Okay, now I'm talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament changed people's conduct. And the New Testament changed people's character. If we observe both throughout the whole Bible... You can see both Old and New Testaments do both. And, and God rewrote on the tablets that Moses broke out of anger and then passed before him. And he showed his existence and proclaimed uh, some of his many wonderful attributes. Merciful and gracious and, and one of many uh, people's favorite, right? Long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, forgiving iniquity and sin. And looking at the sins or iniquities of the fathers has always been a very controversial subject. Uh, sometime back, I taught the book of Ezekiel a while back at one of my home studies. And, and thankfully, I'm, I'm saying thankfully that subject was brought up by God himself to elaborate that fear of the cursed family. Now, simply put by God that if, if someone's father was sinful in some way, it would not be put on the children, especially if they are with God. And you can find that yourself in Ezekiel chapter 18 to see what was said. It, because it, it clarified that question to many in regards to generational um, sins and for curses or whatever that uh, you might be thinking. But we have heard the old saying that apples don't fall far from the tree. And if there's something I have learned is that the more rotten the apple, the closer to the tree it always falls. See, if, if fruit falls from the vine, it means that it no longer abides to the vine because it went bad. And I have also observed bad fruit hanging for, for its life on the branch because it eventually it falls. And it falls close to the tree making a mess. 
But when God is received and followed, when he's loved and obeyed and worshipped, it doesn't matter what your parents did as long as you are walking in the ways of the Lord and, and, and not following the ways of one's past. Things that we do may not, you know, things that we do may not follow, and at times it does, because I, I witnessed it hundreds of times. But what it always, uh, what it will always do is it will affect the children. It will harm them, and they will have to live with the choices that the parents have made. See, God fixes the things that we do. But God help us to do it His way first, because there are uh, there are way too many unnecessary scars on people's lives. And, and no, it's not for the sake of someone having a testimony to impress someone, because God is more impressed with obedience and faith over a story of a bad past. Obedience over sacrifice is what God wants. But see, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, uh, merciful and gracious, that is God. And if you have ever studied something like mythology, you will never see the attributes from these man-made entities that people created. You will never see these from the, from the most blameless person that you even knew on earth. Because this is a great start of a chapter, because God is probably the, the most cherry-picked and misunderstood out of anyone ever in history or in existence of mankind. Well, why would anyone not want the Lord? Is that that's a good question? Why would anyone not want the Lord? Because well, I think for one, people don't want to have a God because they want to be their own God. But Lord willing, after this chapter revealing God more and more, that will change as His Word reveals Himself. Now, in verses eight to sixteen, let's take a look here. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth in worship. And then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before you, uh, all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Unless you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. Now, when Aaron created a golden calf to worship, God called the people at that time, he called them stiff-necked, okay? Now, what's interesting is calves are stiff-necked. So I guess that was a pretty good representation of the people. If you try to get a calf to go right, and, and next thing you know, they're pulling hard to the left. But God is gracious and once again makes a covenant. And, and this is the Mosaic Covenant. And with the covenant will come the marvels. And, and we have observed some of the marvels. But God is not done with that in the form of marvels. 
Because the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittites, they, they were all inhabiting the region. And, and we're going to, they were going to be driven out. And people have asked why. Why would God do that? I've heard that so many times. Why would God do that to those people? If you have studied the people of the area and their ways and their practices, there would be more of an understanding of why they were being driven out. Because we're looking at some of the most vile and horrific acts of the ancient days. The, the things that they did to each other and things that, that were done to children were vile. See, the more you observe the news or read the news around the world of things that people are doing to one another, that's unthinkable. But the things that were going on then in this place would probably shock some of the most notorious criminals of today even. See, if you're a parent and one who loves your children beyond measure, you are going to tell them to avoid things in life that will bring them down. Drugs, alcohol, violence... And God is doing that for his people. But typically parents want the best. They want the best for their children to live happily, the best education, careers, uh, to have a family, a house, all the things the world and society want for their children. But we have to really consider the most important, which is the eternal future. See, what was going on in these places were affecting not just the quality of life, but also the, de- uh, the destiny of eternal existence. When God said to destroy their sacred pillars and their wooden images, it was to make sure that no attraction would be had to these things. Uh, I heard a pastor and a, a, a professor of Greek language, um, he went into a souvenir shop in New Orleans where they were selling voodoo artifacts. And he had seen like a, a doll of sorts. That, and he said it looked familiar. And it was a stone figure that was found in archaeology of what the Canaanites worshipped. And, and it was exactly in the same design as, as he looked it up and compared it. Sold, a, a, sold as a voodoo thing in a store. And, and there are still things lingering to this day even. Because this was fairly recent. And other gods they worshipped were gods of fertility, sexual immorality. And though it wasn't always Canaanite gods, other gods of places and sexual immorality crept into the culture of the Israelites. So this was the first encounter in a very influential place and culture that could bring people down. And one important lesson that that has uh, been either overlooked or dismissed is it is not about it's not always about happiness, but it's about holiness, holiness being set apart. If holiness is the first thing to acquire, then happiness will come naturally. Why? Because if God is pleased with what we're doing and with who we are, that should make us happy. Now let's see what the Lord has to say in verse 17. And we're going to be looking at verse 17 to 21. He continues to say, You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. All All that opened the womb are mine and every male firstborn. Among you, your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and and if you do not redeem him, then you shall break his neck, and all the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. 
Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. So if you if you have followed along, you could say, well, didn't God already go over this? And yes, he did. This again shows his graciousness and willingness to repeat himself so they, so they grasp it. And I say amen to that. Amen to that. Idolatry is worshipping idols. And that is a form of spiritual adultery. Why? Because imagine your spouse, who, who you love beyond measure, keeping a picture in a heart-shaped frame next to the bed of another woman or man. Would that sit well with you? You know, I should hope not, for the sake of a true marriage. But it went further, because God reminds that the firstborn male of anyone or thing is dedicated to him. He is the giver of life. As part of the worship, God commanded three times a year, all men will come to celebrate the ordained feasts, and no one shall come empty-handed. God provides everything. We have, we have why, um, why come empty-handed when he gives all things? Right? Why come empty-handed when he gives all things? Because not long ago, uh, we went into, uh, we went in depth on the instruction of each of these things as I am breaking it down simply on why God reminded them again to do these things. But have you ever been told, I'm only gonna tell you once by someone? See, if God was that way, I would be terrified. But he rewrote on the stones again, so that way it would be remembered. But after all, God gave the Ten Commandments, and then very shortly after, they broke the First Commandment. And the First Commandment was the most important. Now, it wasn't that they forgot it by memory lapse. It was done out of blatant disobedience. But God reminds, because he understands our lacking in memory, but he, he again is gracious beyond measure. Uh, 22 to uh, 27 says, and you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of gathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all around men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your, your um, borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice to feast of the Passover be left until morning. The first of the, uh, of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And then the Lord said to Moses, To the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with you in Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. And he ate, he ate, uh, and he neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. I'm not coming empty-handed, right? If, and not, and not coming empty-handed. The first fruits were offered to God. He gave the land and, and its fertile produce. See, it's only fitting to offer it up in thanks. Do not add leaven with the sacrifice. Because leaven was a representation of sin. It, it was the dirty little piece of yeast that was added in dough to make the bread swell and rise. And then he talks about boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. And, and what that was, is that was a wicked Canaanite practice. That's why God said not to do it. Because even animals 
animals cared for their young. And to boil its young, to boil its young in the milk of the mother is affecting to the animal in the most insulting way. Uh, to kill a goat or any animal. So do we, do we see how good God is? And when you travel to celebrate in the three feasts, and the wives could not attend with uh, with their babies or toddlers, and of course they were invited to come as well, but see, it was mandatory for men age 20 and above, uh, and, and the point is that no one will, what he was talking about is that no one will covet your land. And not coveting was the last commandment in the Ten Commandments. That you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, ox, or anything of your neighbor. Because this commandment was the only one that was not in a physical action. It was, it was internal in the mind and in the heart. But coveting something is what causes physical action. Uh, theft, murder, adultery, wanting something we cannot have. So taking it by one of these measures. God promised divine protection that when, when you are away to celebrate, you will be fine. The men would not uh, be there to protect their home, their families. God in his divine protection kept their properties and families safe while away worshiping him. So do we see again how good God is? Well, let's go ahead and continue to see some more of that goodness of our Lord. Verse 28 to 35. I'm sorry, 29 to 35. Now, so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai... And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he, was, while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak uh, with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. You know, it's interesting that as much as I have seen this story, I forgot that Moses did not know that his face was shining to the point of blinding people. He probably thought, what's wrong with all of you, right? But when you get any glimpse of God, you will shine. It is amazing when we spend time with God that the evidence is there internally and externally. We don't have to have our face shining like Moses. See, Moses eventually, his face went back to normal. But continuing in the word of God, in prayer and in service to him with worship, the shine will not fade when the continuation of these things are in us. It is always evident when we are with the Lord. We don't have to put a veil on our faces because we shine just enough to attract. And when you are in a certain uh, certain places where light can be seen better, it's more attractive. And what I mean by that is like the examples of the brightest stars. The brightest stars are always seen in the darkest places. And I remember going up to a mountain uh, mountaintop at night. It was so dark there that I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. 
But when I looked up, the amount of stars I seen were amazing there. And we live in dark times. And people are in need of the Lord. And those who shine with his light. See, Moses did not have to break the tablets again. He did not have to come down from the mountain and witness a wild party going on as people were worshipping a golden calf. Moses experienced a transformation. The people experienced a transformation and he once again delivered the message of what needed to be given. Moses got to lead the people and he got to serve God. He got to be with God. Now, notice a certain word used here and, and he got to. See, this was a privilege to do these things. It's not a right, but it's a privilege. And we get to do these things in the name of God. You know, I shine best when I am with him. I shine best when I study and teach his word, when I pray with and for others. And more than anything, I shine when I get to lead someone to Christ as their Lord and Savior. It makes me shine. It makes me, it makes me glow. And, and, and those who receive him shine as well because he lives in you now. And, and this is the time because time is of the essence. Have you killed time lately? Maybe you felt like you have wasted time. Well, the question is, is would you like to redeem your time? Redeeming it here on earth and by that time in eternity, which you will never have to worry about redeeming it in heaven because it will never stop. See, we have a God of invitation who loves you and, and wants you and invites you to be with him. It doesn't matter what you have done. Because he said he will forgive you if you come to him and ask. Maybe you have received him and walked away for whatever reason. Well, guess what? That, that makes you a prodigal son or daughter. And heaven will rejoice for your return just as they will for those coming for the first time. See, the Lord wants to have you. But will you have him? If you will... If you want him, if you will have him, your chance is right now. You might be thinking to yourself, well, what do I do? How do I do such a thing? God made it so simple. You, you say a prayer. You say a prayer of repentance. You say a prayer of, of receiving him. And when you say it in truth, you invite the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, his only begotten son who died on the cross for the sins of this world... When you say that prayer in truth, and you invite him into your life, into your heart, you are now one of his. And you want to continue. You want to continue when you receive him in truth. You want to continue to walk with him. And you want to continue to, to be reading his word through the Bible. You want to be continuing to be praying with him daily. You want to continue to be fellowshipping with him and with those who walk with him. So again, the encouragement is now. If you feel led, the encouragement is right now to say this prayer. And you can repeat it after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I ask of you to cleanse me of my sins, Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I thank you for dying for me on the cross. I thank you for giving me eternal life. As I receive you now as my Lord, my Savior, and my Father. I thank you for having me, Lord. I thank you for 
coming into my life, Lord. And may I walk with you all of the days of my life as you keep me close, Lord, as I draw near to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as always, I pray you enjoyed the message. But more than anything, I pray that if you have not ever received the Lord, that you have said that prayer because it's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. To to be able to say that I am now saved eternally. I now have an eternal Father in Christ Jesus. I now have a place in heaven because I have done the right thing by receiving Him in truth. So now the continuation now has to be in walking with Him and living for Him. So in that, continue to do so. Be in prayer and in the Word. In fellowship. May you be in a good Bible teaching church where people are loving and worshiping, teaching Him in in truth. And may you always be a blessed part of those around you because He shines in you. May God bless and keep you.